Evaluation and treatment of a person with unstable angina. ECGs and cardiac enzymes times four. Well, it depends on the hospital. Some of the hospitals around here do it times three, but it's typically going to be around 16 hours of wait time to find out if you don't have a heart attack. Now, if the patient is ruled in, we are going to put them on anticoagulant, antiplatelet, possibly thrombolytic therapy, and we may send them to the cath lab or send them for an emergency bypass. Okay. So, <clears throat> if they are ruled out for an MI, then they're going to get a stress test and maybe an angiogram. Now, see this right here at the bottom? Mona. When we suspect the person has a heart attack, a lot of times, even before they're ruled in, we may treat them with Mona. If they are ruled in for a heart attack, we almost definitely treat them with Mona, which stands for? All right, acetylsalicylic acid. And what's that mean? Aspirin. All right, now, morphine. Why morphine? For pain. Why oxygen? It helps put more oxygen into their body, which helps whatever blood is getting to the heart have more oxygen in it. Nitrates. Why nitroglycerin? Vasodilation and venous dilation. The venous dilation causes reduced work of the... Yeah, which causes reduced work of the heart, which is going to help protect the heart from damage. And then aspirin. Why aspirin? It's an antiplatelet drug. An antiplatelet, how do clots form? What's the first step? What stick together? Platelets. So giving aspirin prevents, the, prevents whatever clot is forming from developing further. Now, in addition to the classic Mona, a lot of times they will also be given an anticoagulant. What's the anticoagulant do? Okay, well, it would be heparin or... Lovenox. And for whoever said Lasix, you get to do that today. So, Lovenox or heparin, and what's the purpose in giving the anticoagulant? It'll help prevent the clot from stabilizing, thereby going away more quickly. Now, if the patient has only had the MI symptoms for two hours or less, some hospitals three hours or less, they may be a candidate for thrombolytic therapy. What's thrombolytic therapy? A clot buster. So we're going to give a drug that actually dissolves the existing clot. Now, studies have shown that if you have the MI symptoms for too long before you get treated, thrombolytics cause more problems than they help. So what's the key to giving a thrombolytic, therapy, a thrombolytic drug? It has to be early on. Now, what are the two drugs that you need to know? The drug names. The thrombolytic drug names. What do you need to know? Okay. One is TPA, also known as tenecteplase, also known as altivase or activase. It's got like five names. I'm going to call it TPA because that's how. I'm lazy. I don't like to type. The other drug name you need to know is streptokinase. What is, the, what is the major adverse effect with both of those drugs? Bleeding. In addition, streptokinase can cause some other stuff that 
that TPA does not cause. But why might you want to have TPA, or why, why, why might you want to have streptokinase instead of TPA? What? No, TPA has more, has fewer side effects. So you'd want TPA for that. Cheaper? How much cheaper? How much is a lot? Well, like streptokinase is probably 250 bucks, and TPA is somewhere like $2,000. But, you know, your life is on the line. and Also, TPA seems to work a little bit better in patients who have had their MI symptoms for longer. But we don't care about that. What we, what we need to know is it has to be within three hours, and within two hours is ideal. And, this, and if you did it even before that, that's even better. Now, in the cath lab, what would they do to the patient? Stick the thing up. Stick the thing up. This, not into here, into here. Oh. You know. So they'd stick a catheter in the left femoral artery, run it up through the aorta, into the heart, and they would start looking, well, they start looking at the coronary arteries to see which one is blocked, and then what would they do? They'd use balloon angioplasty or a stent. Um, thrombolytic therapy has a much better success rate than cath labs. But cath labs produce a heck of a lot more money for hospitals and physicians. Which is why if you ask me, if I ever get a heart attack, give me the thrombolytic not the cath lab, and certainly never give me the bypass surgery. Bypass is a scam, I'm telling you. Yes. Talk about it in research. I know, because it's a cash cow. All right, anyway, there you go. Ooh, pretty. What are those? All right, levels of cardiac enzymes. Now, what you'll notice is that um, this green one right here is CKMB. Notice that at the time of the heart attack, its levels are pretty low, and they don't start really going up for a while, and then they peak around, well, they peak around two days. This um, red one is troponin. When do they start going up? almost immediately and they stay up for about two days. And then this last one, myoglobin, the blue one, it also goes straight up and then it starts coming back down fairly quickly. Now, why don't we check myoglobin that much? Because lots of other things can cause myoglobin to go up. Any, any muscle damage will cause myoglobin to go up. All right, so what are we going to do for our patient who's got an acute MI? They've, they've been ruled in for MI. What are we going to do? No, they've been ruled in. We already know they have it. Okay, we're going to put them on telly. What else are we going to do? What is telly? Telemetry. What is telemetry? The continuous ECG monitoring is what we mean by, tel by telemetry. I remember the first time I ever heard the word they're going to put them on telemetry. I'm like, they're going to track them by satellite? 
Because that's what telemetry is to me. Yeah. All right, so continuous, we're going to monitor them continuously. What else are we going to do for them? There's a girl's name that I want you to remember. Morphine, oxygen, nitroglycerin, aspirin. Out of those, which is the most important one to have as fast as possible? Aspirin. Why aspirin? What's causing the problem in the first place? A clot. Which of those is going to block a clot? Aspirin. So aspirin is the number one. It's also the most common. Every household in the United States should have a bottle of aspirin somewhere in their closet, just in case. You should keep it in your purse, just in case. All right, so we've got those. What else are we going to do for this patient? They've already been ruled in. We've already done the cardiac enzymes. What? Okay, we may give them a thrombolytic if it's been within two to three hours. What else might we do for this patient? Might put them on heparin or Lovenox. And what else? We want to prevent them from having further damage to their heart. So should they be... Bed rest. So by putting them on bed rest, you're going to lower the oxygen demand of the heart and the workload. They really should, they shouldn't have to do anything. We should also try not to get them upset. If the patient's allergic to aspirin, they can use something like Plavix, which we learned about last Pathopharm 1. What? You talked about it today in class, and you all remember that it's an ADP inhibitor? I'm sure you did. And it prevents the uh, platelet degranulation and aggregation. You remember that too, right? Bunch of liars. <laughs> all right. Now, the most common cause of death within 72 hours is dysrhythmia. So we have to keep that patient monitored. We also want to reduce their myocardial workload. How are we going to do that? Bed rest and beta blocker. We want to prevent cardiac remodeling. How are we going to do that? Beta blocker and ACE inhibitor. And if the person is allergic to ACE inhibitors, you give them... angiotensin receptor blocker and ARB. Reduce the chances of reocclusion. How are we going to do that? Heparin and aspirin or Lovenox and aspirin. Now, this last one, reduce oxidative stress. What is oxidative stress? That is indeed free radicals. That's a touching story. <laughs> now, this right here, this right here is um, controversial, and it's also experimental. Uh, one of the things that they've been talking about is giving the patient chilled IV fluids and giving them um, antioxidant medications. 
One of the reasons why it's controversial, though, is one of the best antioxidants that we know of, vitamin E, when they, no, it actually causes increased oxidative damage. So what they did was they took rats and they tied off their little aortas so that they had no blood flow. And then they opened them back up so they had full blood flow and they saw how much free radical damage they had. Now, they did this to rats who had no vitamin E supplementation, vitamin e, uh, rats that had like, you know, normal RDA type vitamin E, and then they did it like mega doses of vitamin E. And guess what happened? The patients with the least, the, the patients, the rats with the least damage, the ones who had no vitamin E supplementation. The ones with the most damage? Mega doses. So there were, you know, this is at the United, this is at University of Florida College of Health and Human Performance, and every single one of those researchers, guess what they were on at the time? Mega doses of vitamin E, because everyone thought it was going to prevent oxidative stress. Guess what? None of them are anymore. So again, this one, this one is controversial and experimental, but you may see it more, you know, more prominent as time goes on, as we understand it better. Now, standard of care for an MI. You've got MONA, you've got bed rest, you've got telemetry. You have beta blockers, ACE inhibitors. You also have heparin and thrombolytics, depending on the individual situation. And there is another antiplatelet drug class that we have not yet mentioned. Glycoprotein 2B3A inhibitors. What the... Yes. You see how quickly they forget, Sagan? Yes, we did talk about those. How many of you have ever been mountain climbing or rock climbing at all? What do you, what do you hook your rope into? A carabiner. When platelets form clots, they get held together by fibrin. The fibrin connects to a carabiner on the platelet. And that carabiner is called the GP2B3A receptor. Repeat which part? All right. If you want to not fall while you're rock climbing, just in case, you hook yourself in with the carabiner, right? A rope to a carabiner. Platelets do the same thing. They stick to one another, but then they tie ropes to themselves. That rope is called fibrin. It's produced by the clotting cascade. Heparin inhibits that clotting cascade. The GP stands for glycoprotein 2B slash 3A receptor. That's the, that's the, that receptor is, there, is the carabiner that fibrin attaches to on the platelet. There's a picture of it in your notes. Just go look up your anticoagulant lecture. You'll see it. Or read it in the book. Now, GP2B3A inhibitors. What's the drug name you need to know? Integralin or Reapro are the two drugs that, that you'll need to know eventually for critical care. They're only given IV, and when are they given? What kind of patients? They're given to patients who have acute coronary syndrome and patients who have had uh, percutaneous coronary interventions, such as angioplasty and stents. Now, 
When I went to school in the dark ages, graduated in 1999. Yeah, 99. Platelets had not yet evolved these carabiners called GP2B3A receptors. As a result, I did not have to learn those drugs. That understanding of how platelets hold themselves together in the clot has revolutionized MI treatment. Patients who get treated with GP2B3A inhibitors have better outcomes than patients who don't. So, there you go. You need to know it. All right, now, in addition to all of the drug stuff, there is some important other stuff that happens afterwards. After the MI, the patient needs to modify their diet, most likely. Low sugar, relatively low fat, lots of fresh fruits and vegetables, lean meats, no more than one drink a day, and preferably should be red wine. Should stop smoking if they are smoking. Should exercise gently. Cardiac rehab. Yeah, what that means is they shouldn't, they shouldn't just go and start running again, even if they did before. They should, they should go to cardiac rehab, which is going to monitor them while they exercise to see if they're having dysrhythmias. Like, they usually go to a hospital and there's a cardiac rehab unit, and so they get hooked up to telemetry and they, they do their little exercise and see how much they can tolerate. And then after a couple months of that, then they can go exercise on their own again if they ever did before. And they should also engage in stress management. Additionally, patients who have had an MI should be on an antiplatelet drug of some kind, such as aspirin or Plavix, eh, whatever, Persantine. They should be on a beta blocker, they should be on a statin medication, and they should treat any, any additional risk factors they may have, such as hypertension, smoking, and whatever else. Sometimes we'll put a patient on Coumadin for a year, af up to a year after they've had an MI to prevent a second MI. Question? Well, yes. So for those of you who are listening on the podcast, the question was, won't the patient bleed out? And the answer is quite possibly. <laughs> so... So what you have to do is you have to monitor the patient carefully and you also need to take the individual patient into account. Some patients are more at risk for bleeding than others. If they've got a history of GI bleed, they probably shouldn't be on aspirin. All right. Now, in addition to all that stuff, after the MI is over, the patient will probably get either a stress test or an angiogram to see where other clots might be, or not clots, other um, atherosclerotic plaques might be. And a lot of times the cardiologist will then want to do either bypass surgery or stents on those. And then also monitor for symptoms. What is the number one predictor of a heart attack? Having had already having had already had a heart attack previously, what's the number two? Diabetes. Diabetes. So, 
we really want to make sure that patients who've had a heart attack already are really monitoring their symptoms to make sure they don't come back. 